What is this? Two episodes in one week? From the girl who previously couldn't even manage to get one episode up per week on a regular basis? That's wild. Well, if you listened to the last episode of this podcast, you'll know that I'm a little unemployed right now. And while I'm sure once I actually start really running out of money, I'm going to be super sad about that. And I am already kind of anxious, but at the moment, I gotta say, I'm kind of loving not having to go to a, an actual job. It's been kind of cool. And that's not to say that I haven't been doing anything. I have. I've been working on multiple different things for this podcast and for my YouTube channel and whatnot. So there are more things coming, and I am really trying to dedicate myself to those projects in this window of time before I actually need to get a new job. But as I said in the last episode, I would love it if I was able to do this content creation thing for a living. So I don't normally like to put this stuff in the episodes because it just it gets all cluttered. And personally, I don't like it when podcast hosts take too long to get to the point of the episode. So I'll keep it brief. If you could like like and share and rate and review and do all that stuff to make it a little bit easier for me to make money doing this, that'd be really cool because I don't want to have to go back to work. Anyway, like I was saying, I do have a couple things that I'm working on right now that I should hopefully have up in the next couple of weeks. I have a YouTube video that I think should be up either at the end of this week or sometime next week. So look out for that. This episode's a little more impromptu. I'm sure a lot of you who currently follow me started following me around when I was talking about the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case a lot. So this is a continuation of that because the brief for Amber's appeal just came online. All like 68 pages of it. And I haven't read it yet. I haven't really done a whole lot in terms of following the appeal. I haven't followed it that closely, but I I have paid attention, obviously, kind of like on the sidelines, and I thought that we could go through it together and talk about some of the more recent developments on this case. So for background, if this happens to be your first episode or at least your first episode in which I'm talking about this topic, I'll go through kind of my history with it. So a couple months ago, I had started with one episode on this podcast that I thought was going to be like one of two parts or something. I didn't think it was going to become like a whole thing, but I started just making a timeline of events because I didn't really have an opinion on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. It looked like a total mess from the outside. I did have an opinion on, like, I guess the legal side of it. I didn't think that what Amber did should really count as defamation just from the legal definition of what defamation is, because in the Washington Post article that she was being sued for, she didn't even mention Johnny's name, nor did she even really refer to him specifically at all. Like, she just said that she was 
a public figure representing abuse. And then she said something about how she witnessed men accused of abuse. Like she didn't actually even say that she herself was a victim and that her ex was an abuser. She just said that she was a figure representing abuse, which was true. And then she said she watched people rally around a man accused of abuse, which was also true. So I didn't think that should count as defamation. And especially because of things that I had known about Johnny Depp's career, I just thought, like, you really can't blame all of that on Amber Heard because there were rumors for years that he wasn't showing up to set on time or he didn't memorize his lines and had people feed it to him through an earpiece, which turned out to be true, by the way. We found out in the trial, the person who actually does that for Johnny, (laughs) like, testified and talked about it. But anyway, so I was just like, I just don't think there's legal grounds here to say that Amber Heard really damaged Johnny's reputation. But I didn't have an opinion on their relationship as a whole, like whether or not Johnny was the primary abuser in the relationship or it was Amber. That I was like, I don't fucking know. I mean, this thing just seems like a mess. I was kind of leaning on the side of, like, a mutually toxic relationship. I don't want to use the word mutual abuse because I don't think that that's a helpful way to characterize something. I think there are relationships that can be mutually toxic, like I said, because maybe both parties have some abusive behaviors, but abuse to me implies some sort of power difference and one person has to have the upper hand, in which case it's not really mutual anymore. But I was thinking at the time, like, well, it seems like maybe they're both just like toxic, bad people from all the stuff that I was seeing on the internet. Then I started to do my little timeline. I started with the backgrounds of both Amber and Johnny. I moved into the actual allegations. And the more and more I did that, the more I realized that I couldn't just fit all of it into like a little two-parter episode thing. So I created a page on my website at medusini.com that was just a document of like information related to the case with everything laid out in a timeline as well as different like witness testimonies and such. I wanted the page to be a really like unbiased source of information That was just the bare facts and the allegations themselves and the supporting evidence for each allegation, yada, yada, so that I and other people could make an informed decision about this case that wasn't incomplete or influenced by specific spin. So that's what I did. The page continues to be pretty popular. I made it very clear that Anyone can send in suggestions for things to add to the to the page or to edit in it if something is incorrect or inaccurate in any way. And people do that. People send me plenty of new suggestions, new resources. Overall, I've been communicating with both sides. People who are definitely pro-Johnny, people who are definitely pro-Amber. Though I can't really say that the productive feedback is... Even as far as it coming from both sides, there is certainly a side here that does not want a page of factual information about this case up. They think that we just need to drop this entire conversation. The verdict was what it was, and we should look no further. Despite the fact that there were two different courts that looked at this case, and there was quite a lot of information that was left out of the most recent trial. 
So even though I try to keep my page to be as unbiased as possible, and I just try to keep it to the bare facts of the case, I, of course, have formed an opinion. I have come to a conclusion after all my research. It was not an easy conclusion to come to. This was not a quick glance at events for me. Evidenced by the fact that the first episode where I made my stance really clear on what side I was coming down on is a five-hour episode of this podcast. So if you want to hear me go through each of the events listed on the timeline and actually hear my like full decision-making process for why I have come down on this issue on the side that I have come down on, it's all right there, but I will give you a little bit of an overview, because I understand that you probably don't want to listen to all five hours just to know why I feel the way that I feel. So here is the abridged version of why I believe Amber Heard. Number one, Amber's story just in general is a lot more coherent and has a lot more specific details than Johnny's did. Johnny's claims are incredibly vague and don't fit within a coherent narrative. I don't expect him to have, like, really specific dates or records of everything, but I do expect him to have some kind of story to go along with his claims of abuse. Because abuse doesn't typically come out of nowhere in domestic situations. There's usually some kind of lead-up, you know, like a period where things are okay, things are good, then some small issues that start to pop up, those issues start to escalate, Maybe it escalates into physical violence, but at first it'll probably be really seldom violence, like a slap here or there, and then occasionally maybe a punch. And then that's usually followed by some promise of, it'll never happen again, I was really fucked up, I'll never do that, it was a mistake, yada yada. Then of course it does continue to happen, and it escalates until... The abuse becomes really frequent and overwhelming. And then sometimes even then there will be periods where things do seem to actually be really getting better. And maybe you go to counseling and in cases that involve some sort of substance abuse from one of the partners or maybe both partners, maybe they start to get clean and get better and then they relapse and the abuse starts again. Like there is usually some sort of pattern that exists and some story that you can tell to kind of explain where the abuse started, how it escalated, and why you stayed. And Amber has that story. Johnny doesn't. The only times where Johnny has really given specific examples of times where he's alleging abuse from Amber is just the times where he's reacting in response to the allegations that Amber already put forward. But most of his claims are just non-specific claims of like, sometimes she would throw things at me, sometimes she would hit me, sometimes she would yell at me. Like, okay, I get that sometimes she would do that. I need you to tell me when that started and how it progressed and when it maybe even seemed to get better. Like, there's no story with Johnny. It's just, she was abusive, period. And that's kind of suspicious, especially when the other party has already come forward with claims of abuse and is able to give very specific information about that. The second reason that I believe Amber is that Johnny had significantly more power than she did. For instance, even her therapist was paid for by Johnny. He worked for Johnny. He did not work for Amber. That's troubling in and of itself, 
but there's also documented correspondence between Johnny and members of that medical staff in which he is complaining that the doctors overseeing Amber's treatment weren't complying with what Johnny had wanted them to do. I'll read a text right now from Johnny to one of the nurses on his medical team. He wrote, I was the client. Ultimately, if you and Debbie are able to at least speak of me, who I really am and what, I was the one who asked for you to calm her down and keep her under control. Not because she was kicking drugs. It was to take her pressure away from me. Same reason that I hired her shrink, who, by the way, only made her worse. Then in addition to having control over Amber's medical treatment, he also had a hand in her career because we have emails where Johnny is telling his agent that he's going to ruin the producers of a film if they didn't remove Amber's nude scenes. Going off of that, it also appears that Johnny was exhibiting some financial domination over Amber. So, for one thing, a really bad take that I saw a lot of people on the internet having regarding this case was that abusers usually isolate their victim, meaning they try to separate their victim from their loved ones and from people who might support them leaving the relationship. But Johnny did the opposite. Johnny was giving gifts to Amber's friends and family. He was giving them money and letting them live in some of his penthouses and homes rent-free. He's so generous. That generosity is also kind of a tactic of abuse and of isolation, because if all of your partner's loved ones are financially dependent on you, that's going to make it really hard for them to support your partner leaving you, even if you become really, really abusive. Everyone in Amber's life had incentive to side with Johnny if everything went south, and anyone who started to push back on Johnny's control may lose some of their financial security. For instance, Whitney Heard, or Whitney Henriquez, I guess, with her married name, Amber's sister, no matter, she testified that her and Johnny had had a really good relationship for a long time. She was living in one of Johnny's penthouses. Then there came a time where Whitney started to kind of butt heads with Johnny a little bit, and Johnny didn't like that. And then... Whitney wasn't living in that penthouse anymore. Because no matter how generous Johnny is acting, that generosity is gonna come with some conditions, right? Even if that wasn't what Johnny intended, are you gonna call the person who's letting you live in their home rent-free an abuser and an asshole? Maybe not, if you really need somewhere to live. And you might just also be biased to seeing the best in them anyway. Like, some of the people who testified for Johnny do kind of seem like they genuinely don't believe that the person they know could be capable of such things, like that guy Isaac. There's a possibility that Isaac is actually, like, intentionally covering up for Johnny, but I think what's more likely true is that he knows Johnny to be a really generous person who has done really great things for him in his life, and so it's hard for him to conceptualize that that person may also be an abusive husband. So that's just a bias that people have. Johnny being really generous to people and giving them money and giving them jobs and giving them places to live, that is in of itself a form of isolation because Amber didn't have anyone 
who Johnny wasn't involved with in some way. All of her friends were their friends, which means that she didn't have her own independent support system. And if you don't believe that money could influence someone to put their own loved one's life at risk, think about what happened to Nicole Brown, who was violently beaten by her husband O.J. Simpson for years, and in one of the instances where he had really badly hurt her physically, her own father convinced her to not press criminal charges against him because O.J. had been funding some of his businesses. And he didn't want to lose out on that. So, the fact that Johnny was letting Amber's friends live in his penthouses doesn't convince me that he's a good person. Going off of that, the fourth reason that I believe Amber is that most, if not all, of Johnny's witnesses that testified for him in court were financially benefiting from it. Or at least financially benefiting from their association with him. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, even Johnny's own sister. She fucking works for him. And I didn't really go into it in the other episodes because it's not, like, specifically relevant to the claims between Amber and Johnny. But Johnny's sister also is super shady, where it seems like she was taking some money out of Johnny's accounts without his knowledge, allegedly, and just spending it because he was really bad at managing his money and she took advantage of that and treated his bank account as her own. So given that that kind of stuff was coming up between Johnny and his sister already because of a different lawsuit that he was having with his former business managers around that time, uh, yeah, I think that Christine has some reason to suck up to her brother right now, because that's kind of what pays her bills. Same thing with all of his employees that testified on his behalf, the friends that he still supports financially, the former TMC employee who really pissed me off, because I come from a media studies background, and I know that the way that Morgan testified on that stand was incredibly manipulative and actually just exploited people's lack of understanding of media law because he didn't actually say anything that was all that incriminating to Amber, like at all. But he said the things that he didn't really say in such a way to try to imply that Amber was the one to tip off TMZ, even though... If you actually look at all the articles that TMZ had written about the conflict between Amber and Johnny, very obvious pro-Johnny spin. They also have a known relationship with Laura Wasser, who was Johnny's divorce attorney. That's been a known thing for years. And yeah, okay, Amber was the one to tip off TMZ. Why then did they write such nasty shit about her? TMZ keeps their sources happy. They pay for tips, and they write flattering things about the people that give them information. If Amber Heard was the one tipping TMC off, they would not have been writing the things that they were writing. It is almost certainly true that Johnny's team, whether or not Johnny even had knowledge of it, because there is a recording that I talked about in the five-hour episode where Johnny does not seem to know that his divorce attorney has these connections with TMZ, Though she does, and she has for, like, years, and people have known since, like, at least 2016, whatever. 
there's a lot about Johnny's entire setup in terms of his overall team where he doesn't seem to really understand everything that's going on around him. So I'm not even going to say that he knows how much TMZ was really working in his favor at the time, but it's still a ridiculous claim to try to act like Amber was the source the entire time when she very clearly was not. But that's the kind of power that Johnny Depp has and Amber Heard does not. Which leads me into my fifth reason, which is that for Amber to even have witnesses testifying on her behalf in the first place is pretty good. Like, that says a lot in defense of her perspective on events, because while most of the witnesses that are testifying on Johnny's behalf are being paid for it or being paid in their association with Johnny, even if they're not being paid literally to take the stand, none of the people on Amber's side were really doing that. What exactly do you think Rocky Pennington, Josh Drew, Iotillet Wright, Elizabeth Martz, Bruce Whitkin, Tracy Jacobs, Joel Mandel, Ellen Barkin, Tina Newman, or Alan Blostein were getting out of their testimonies? How were they benefiting from being called as Amber's witnesses? Amber doesn't even have enough money to fucking pay these people off. Which is why, by the way, this entire theory about this hoax that all these people were in on, Rocky, Josh, Whitney, Christina, Melanie, like, all this shit that people apparently were all in on to set Johnny Depp up and allege that he was an abuser, even though Amber was the abuser the entire time. What reason did they have to do that? What was the incentive? They would have been better off financially and probably would have had better careers if they had stuck with Johnny. And Amber is apparently such a huge bitch that she's also super abusive to her friends and her sister, according to these Johnny Depp defenders. Why would they defend her? If what she was saying wasn't true, why would they risk perjuring themselves in a courtroom if Amber was lying the entire time and doesn't even have the money or the resources to help them in their careers? It doesn't make any sense. Like, people were even trying to use the fact that Rocky and Amber aren't friends anymore, and it also seems like Josh and Amber aren't friends anymore. As evidence against Amber, like, well, she can't even keep her friends around. Clearly, she's the abuser. Those people are still testifying for her, though. They're still corroborating the things that she said. Even the people that don't like Amber Heard anymore, apparently, and aren't friends with her, are still saying, yeah, but that stuff happened. The stuff that she said happened, we saw it. Why would they do that? if they weren't even friends with Amber anymore and she doesn't have any fucking money to give them. And they could have just continued to live in these penthouses for free if they had just sided with Johnny in the first place. They didn't do that. They didn't do that for a reason. Probably because Amber's not fucking lying because she has nothing else to give those people. Sixth reason is that Johnny's own attorney, Adam Waldman, who got kicked off the case in the Virginia trial because... He was basically starting a smear campaign against Amber Heard, so the judge overseeing the case would not allow him to represent Johnny. We have evidence of him coercing people into giving specific testimonies against Amber, including Amber's own friends, with really manipulative questioning and unlawful threats against them. 
So even some of the people who testified against Amber, I can't really take everything they're saying as being all that convincing. For instance, the thing that he had tried to get Amber's friend to say in court, and then she came out and said that she was pressured and kind of tricked and manipulated into saying that was that she didn't see any injuries on Amber. And there were a lot of people who would also say the same thing, that they didn't see injuries on Amber around the time that she said that she had been bruised and injured by Johnny. But like those people, a lot of them just saw her in quick glances while she was out in public, likely wearing makeup because you usually don't walk around with big bruises on your face as a woman because it's kind of embarrassing. Like, people will definitely look at you. I mean, they'll look at you if you're a man, too, if you've got a bunch of bruises on your face. But when you're a girl, people kind of guess what happened. And that's not really fun. So there's no doubt in my mind that when Amber Heard had bruises on her face, yeah, she was covering it up with makeup. That's a normal thing for her to do. And any person who saw her around that time and said that they didn't see any bruises on her face, I don't care. Because why would they? But if you can round up all the people who can say like, oh, yeah, I never actually saw her with bruises and get them to say it in a way that sounds really incriminating to Amber, then you'll do it if you're Adam Waltman. And I don't trust that guy. And I think the fact that he was really heavily involved in building this case, even if he wasn't actually present as a part of Johnny's representation in the Virginia trial, I think that deserved a lot more scrutiny. And the final reason that I believe Amber is that she just has so much fucking evidence on her side, a lot of which was not able to be used in the Virginia trial, which is the most frustrating thing to me when someone will say, like, I don't even know why you're, like, doing all this work to compile this information when the verdict was already decided and there was an entire trial. It went on for weeks. You can watch it all on YouTube. Okay, but that trial didn't include all the information. There was a lot of stuff that just was not admissible in that courtroom that should have been admissible. A lot of stuff that got deemed as hearsay that in any other abuse case would be literally all the evidence, just all of it. Because normally, when you are in a situation like this, the only proof that you have are the records of you telling other people what happened. Texting your parents and saying, like, hey, Johnny beat me up last night, which there's a lot, a lot, a lot of text messages like that that just did not get used in the Virginia trial. And you can say that that's because Amber was creating a record for her hoax, but it goes all the way back to the beginning of their relationship, so I don't know why she was building this dossier of evidence for that long. Again, we're going back to this kind of conspiratorial thinking where apparently everyone works for Amber, and she's this mastermind of coming up with these false allegations, even though she clearly isn't that much of a mastermind because she didn't actually get away with it. Like, she made some pretty fucking bonehead mistakes if this was her plan the entire time. But I encourage you, there are PDFs out there that will contain, like, all of the text messages with, like, all parties. Go look at that shit. Go look at the amount of times that Amber told people what was happening. And look at the amount of photos. And look at the amount of recordings. Like, <sighs> the just the most frustrating thing about all of this is that Amber had more evidence than most abuse victims will ever, ever have. But unfortunately for Amber, she's very bad at PR. Just really, really bad at it. 
And that made kind of all the difference here. This truly was a trial by media, and Johnny Depp is better at using the media. So, he won. For now. But here's where we get to the appeal. So like I said, I haven't been watching the appeal process like super closely. I haven't been keeping that up to date with it, mostly because it it's just a lot of paperwork that we don't get to see most of, and I can only rely on what different outlets are reporting, and I can't actually see the sources myself until now, because now we do have the full brief. And also just some of the moves that Amber was making were... Hard to watch. I, like I said, she's really, really bad at PR. <laughs> Her former attorneys were also really bad at it. I think that they seem like sweet people. I mean, I, I don't want to like totally shit talk them, but holy shit, did they botch that trial. I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I don't have any plans to become one, but I feel very confident that I could have won that case for Amber. I just think that they weren't going into it aggressive enough. They were thinking of it as a, what it really was, which was a pretty straightforward case where one person had way more evidence than the other person. So what's there to fret about? But I, I think they should have gone in really anticipating how much Johnny was going to use the media as his own tool and how much his attorneys were going to manipulate facts. And while... Amber had a better story that she was telling than Johnny in that it was actually like a structured story of an abusive relationship. Johnny is still a better storyteller. So even though he came with a lot less detail and a lot less facts and a lot more bullshit, he was able to spin that bullshit in a much more convincing way than Amber was. And that sucks. But also like... Girl, you should have thought about that. I mean, I don't want to victim blame because it's not her fault and the jury should have definitely seen through the shit that he was pulling. But when you're going up against someone like Johnny Depp and you know that it's going to be filmed, you've got to go into that thinking in terms of the marketing and the PR. The way that you win a case like this is literally just being the most likable celebrity, as horrible as that is. And there were just some serious miscalculations on that side of things. For instance, even after the trial, the way that they went about trying to get a mistrial declared. So if you missed this whole saga, after the case was closed and there was a verdict, Amber's team tried to declare a mistrial by saying that one of the jurors on the, on the jury wasn't actually the person who was called for jury duty. It seems like it was probably their son or something. It was someone who had the exact same name and the exact same address as the intended juror, but was like 20 or so years younger. So I'm thinking like a senior, junior kind of situation. Now, as far as a juror not being who they say they are, that is a big deal. So I understand why Amber's team would look into that. But... You can't just start, like, claiming things like that when you have such a huge stage publicly. Like, anything you do, any move you make legally at this point is going to be reported on in the media, and you need to make sure that everything you do looks good. And this did not look good, because 
there was just not really a reason to say that the whole trial was invalid because of this one juror, it would make sense if you could prove that there was some sort of conspiracy with Johnny Depp's team, if they somehow were a part of this switcheroo, which it doesn't really seem like they were, or if you could prove that this juror was intentionally committing fraud because they wanted to be on this specific case. Maybe they're like a Johnny Depp stan, or maybe they're just someone who's really into celebrities and wanted to be a part of a celebrity trial. That, I would say for sure, like that counts as a mistrial. And it even maybe technically counts as a mistrial that it's the wrong juror. But from, again, a PR standpoint, you're making your case look super petty when you're going after something that in all actuality could have just been a mistake and it's not really anyone's fault and it doesn't really benefit any specific side. By pursuing this, you make your side look like it's really, really desperate and doesn't have much to stand on in terms of a mistrial or an appeal and you're just grasping at straws and trying to win on a technicality. It doesn't look good. Especially because the pro-Johnny people could then turn around and say, but your team also had to approve of these jurors before it went to trial, so this is also kind of your mistake, too. Like, it just makes your team look even more inefficient than they already kind of looked in the public eye. It wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. You've got to be really specific in how you direct people's attention to what you're doing. You need to be specifically focusing on the actual problems in this trial, which I hope are in this appeal brief, but anything you do that seems like you're trying to divert attention from the facts in the case, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not, it just wasn't a good idea. And I understand why they tried to pursue that, because yeah, having the wrong juror is kind of, it is a big deal in terms of like the law, but we're not thinking in terms of the law right now, dude. We gotta think in terms of fucking spin. We gotta think about what the headlines are gonna look like. And they didn't look good. I don't know how to explain that. This is the thing, is that I get accused ever since I like came out and said like, yeah, I'm a fucking Amber Heard supporter. Not even when I came out and said that. Like when I first made the page before I had even made my stance known, I was getting people calling me like, a part of Amber Heard's PR just because I was making a resource for factual information about the allegations. And it kills me because, like, I wish I was on Amber's PR team. I would have loved to have warned her that this was a bad idea. And you know what, Amber? I'm unemployed now, so call me. So in addition to that development, let's have it be known that Johnny Depp is also seeking an appeal because in the verdict in Virginia, the jury decided that while Amber had defamed Johnny on a couple different counts, Johnny's team had also defamed her because Adam Waldman had started this idea of this big hoax with the the final like physical fight that they had, and he said that Amber's entire, like, friend group 
put it all together and faked it. And the thing about that is that it's kind of contradictory because if you say that she faked the last physical encounter in which she said that she was physically assaulted by Johnny and the jury decides that actually, no, she didn't fake that. It wasn't a hoax. It did happen. How do you then say that Amber's overall allegations of abuse weren't true? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. They did decide that. So Amber was awarded like $2 million or something, which doesn't even cover what she now owes Johnny. But regardless, Johnny is appealing that decision. So both of them are filing appeals at this point. It's not just Amber. But thankfully, Amber has new lawyers. Again, I don't want to trash her former team because I think they did the best they could, but I don't think they were equipped for the job. I hope that her new set of attorneys is. I am a little, little skeptical just because they don't have a huge history of like high profile cases. They recently did win a case uh, for the New York Times after Sarah Palin sued them for defamation, and they got that case totally dismissed. So that's promising. But again, because this is such a PR battle at this point, I think you kind of need like someone who has a history of representing other celebrities. You want someone who knows how to use the media to their advantage. And I don't know that these are the guys, but... Who knows? I mean, I don't know what the status of her PR team is at the moment, because I remember at some point during the Virginia trial, she fired her PR team. So maybe if she can get her shit together on that end, then having lawyers who are just good lawyers and not necessarily celebrity lawyers, it'll suffice. No matter. Let's go through this brief together, and we'll see if Amber is still making bad decisions or if she's making a power move. I hope it's the latter but we'll see. All right, so first off, before we even get to the statement, there is the table of contents, obviously, and then following that, there is the table of authorities, which is in a legal document. It's basically a list of all the references from different law cases that should be taken into consideration as far as the precedent already set for a case like this. Now, I... I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say that I have the experience to tell you what the standards here are. I don't know if this is a lot of references to have in a document like this, or if it's average or even a small amount. But as a layperson, just looking at it, I have to say, like, this does seem like a lot. Like, it's a couple pages worth of different cases that they're arguing in their references. So... That is already promising to me because it's it shows me that they're kind of throwing everything at this, that they're not leaving any stone unturned. They're being really thorough in how they approach this, which is good. Give, give the other side as little wiggle room as possible. All right, now we're getting to the statements of the case. I'm just going to take it page by page. So first off, they come in making a good move here, I think, by pointing out what I have been pointing out since before I even knew anything about the relationship between Amber and Johnny that the Washington Post article doesn't actually make any allegations against Johnny. They write, Heard authored an opinion piece ultimately published by the Washington Post in which she discussed the public backlash she had experienced after that legal proceeding and advocated for policy changes to support women who report gender-based violence. Hurt took great care not to mention Depp or to repeat her prior allegations of abuse by him. 
but Depp sued her for defamation, claiming she had revived her 2016 allegations merely by describing the reaction to them. So I think that's a good point. This entire defamation thing is just kind of bullshit because clearly it wasn't actually about the Washington Post article. It was an act of revenge against Amber because the Washington Post article really didn't fucking say anything, did it? They follow up by making another great point here. Instead of suing Heard in California, where both parties lived and where Depp claimed to have suffered reputational harm, Depp sued in Virginia, a wholly inconvenient forum with no connection to Depp or any meaningful connection to his claims. So the reason that Johnny sued Amber in Virginia instead of California, California has really, really strong anti-slap laws, which basically would have gotten this case almost immediately dismissed, really. He would not have gotten very far suing Amber for defamation for this article in California. But in Virginia, that doesn't have those same anti-slap provisions, it would have been a lot easier for him to get a trial in the first place, and especially for him to air a trial, which is kind of the entire point of what he's doing. I mean, I do think that Johnny wanted to win the case, but I think he also just wanted to have a stage upon which to embarrass Amber, and him being able to do that in a courtroom with cameras was a really good platform for him. So I that's why it was in Virginia. And they were able to get away with it because the Washington Post does have an office in Virginia, even though Johnny wasn't suing the Washington Post. He was suing Amber, but whatever. Virginia is one of 10 states that has rules that basically say that you can sue in Virginia if the publication occurs in that state, even though the Washington Post isn't printed only in Virginia, it's printed all over the country, and it's also in the internet, you know, like the thing that everyone can access, so it's silly, but they have servers in Virginia, so it counts. Second page, we have Amber's team citing the fact that Amber had already had her claims validated by a different court, that being the UK court, when Johnny sued the son in the UK for calling him a wife beater during the trial for which Amber came as a witness and gave evidence for him, in fact, being a wife beater. And the judge in that court decided that, yes, Johnny is a wife beater. And that ruling is what probably would have gotten the case dismissed in California, along with the fact that the Washington Post article didn't actually make any allegations against Johnny. The brief then goes on to say that Johnny did not meet the burden of proof to claim that Amber was acting with any malice, which is a part of defamation. You not only have to be saying something that is provably false, you have to be saying it specifically with malice. So you knew while publishing those claims that they were not true, and you published them anyway specifically to hurt the defamed party. Or at the very least, you were just acting with such recklessness that you didn't care if you hurt the defamed party. And they also state that Johnny did not establish that Amber knew the alleged implication was false or subjectively entertained such serious doubts about its truth. And this is something that I... I 
again agreed with prior to actually knowing anything about the relationship because ultimately, though I may look at a situation and say like, this person is the abuser, this person is the victim. When you're actually in that situation, it's a bit more subjective because there are plenty of abusive people who very much believe that they are the victim of something because a lot of them are narcissistic or have some distorted version of reality in their heads where they think that any time someone is upset with them or is like kind of short with them that that can count as abusive. I mean, I'm speaking in like broad strokes here, but with Johnny specifically, even though I personally think that Johnny is the abuser in that relationship, I don't necessarily know if Johnny actually knows that he's the abuser or thinks that he's the abuser. I think somewhere in his head, he genuinely believes that Amber heard because she didn't want him to continue drinking alcohol and doing drugs and hitting her that she was being a nag and that nagginess was evidence of her abuse. Like, I think somewhere in his head, he genuinely thinks that he was the victim of Amber Heard in that relationship. Maybe he's aware that he's stretching the truth in some of these different scenarios that he's giving, but I don't think that he really understands that he was in the wrong fully. And so to flip that, even if we were to say that Amber Heard was the abusive one in that relationship, to say that she's defaming him by accusing him of abuse means assuming that she knows she's the abusive one and is just lying about it anyway. And I don't think that we can make that assumption, even if Amber were the abusive party in that relationship. I don't think we can just assume that she would conceptualize herself in that way to actually meet the legal definition for defamation. You can say that you are a victim of abuse and be wrong, and that still wouldn't make you liable for defamation. They go on to state that the court omitted certain evidence that favored Amber that was relevant to the case, and then admitted irrelevant and prejudiced evidence against Amber. So I'm, we'll get examples of that, I'm sure, as we go, but that's the basis here. All right, then we get to some meteor stuff on page three. So it starts with the trial court then refused Heard's proposed jury instruction on the communicative intent prong of actual malice. Consequently, the jury instructions were missing a key requirement for establishing a defamation by implication claim. So she's basically saying there that the jury didn't know what the fuck they were actually <laughs> making a verdict on, which seems to be the case. I mean, the fact that the entire fucking trial went on for like weeks upon weeks over a defamation claim for like three sentences total is pretty absurd. And it makes sense to me that there were not really clear instructions on what they were actually supposed to be making a verdict based on. So much of this trial was just proving whether or not Amber or Johnny was the worst spouse. And that's not the point of a defamation trial. The point is, did Amber defame Johnny? And the answer to that is kind of pretty clearly no, considering she wasn't actually making any allegations in the Washington Post article. Even if she was implying certain things, those are things that you need external information to be able to piece together, such as the original claims brought forth by the restraining order that Amber filed for in 2016. And even then, after that, Amber and Johnny both came out and said that 
there was like no abuse or something like I don't remember what their joint statement was, but they had a joint statement that was basically like, we're all good now. We don't want to do this in public anymore. And then the Washington Post article, all it said was I was a public figure representing abuse and I saw how institutions rallied around to protect a man accused of abuse. Those things are fucking factually true. Whether or not Amber was actually a victim of abuse doesn't really matter because she was a public figure representing abuse. And whether or not Johnny Depp actually abused her, again, doesn't matter because he was a man accused of abuse. Those two things are fucking true. Those are the statements that the entire defamation case was built around. And yet, it sprawled out into this weird thing where suddenly Amber Heard is having her donation to the ACLU put into question. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I, I think that's a great point to bring up, that the jury clearly was not given clear instructions on what they were actually supposed to be evaluating their verdict on. But then we get into, so far, what my favorite statement on this is, because it's so direct and it's also just like, there's not really a way to argue against it. So the resulting jury verdict against Heard on all of Depp's claims cannot be reconciled with the jury verdict against Depp on Heard's counterclaim. To find in favor of Depp, the jury must have concluded that Depp did not abuse Heard and that Heard knowingly lied in accusing him of abuse. But to find in favor of Heard, the jury must have concluded that Heard told the truth about being a victim of domestic abuse by Depp. Accordingly, the verdict against Heard cannot stand. Yeah, I already said that earlier, that the two claims, the fact that Amber had won in her defamation suit against Johnny and Adam Waldman, and then Johnny still won in his defamation suits against Amber, they don't make sense together. You cannot agree with both of those statements. Either Amber lied and she was not an abuse victim or Adam Waldman lied about Amber lying. It, those two things are in contradiction with each other. I mean, it's just so stupid. And then they just make a point about the amount that Amber was ordered to give Johnny was excessive. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about that because I don't know enough about defamation claims like this. I mean, in a way, I think this is just, it's excessive in that this wasn't really a defamation claim, obviously. But if everything was on the up and up, I don't know how much someone typically would be awarded in a role like this, especially with like, I mean, it's hard to even say because Johnny really didn't, he didn't prove that these claims were really specifically injurious to his career. Like, how do you even add up what he's owed when there are all these other factors into why he wasn't getting movie roles? And also, like, what specific movie roles was he saying that Amber had gotten in the way of him? Get like, it's just, it's so stupid. So, I mean, I, I agree with them in a sense, but also, I don't know. I, I don't know what amount would have been sufficient for them to award Johnny because the entire claim was such bullshit. All right, but then we get into our assignment of errors. So number one, the trial court erred in declining to dismiss the action on the ground of forum nonconvenience. Forum nonconvenience is like, if a case would be more appropriate to take to a different court, then it needs to be moved to that court, which in this case would be fucking California. Any court in California, well, maybe not any court, but probably something in, like, the Los Angeles area of California 
where these two live and where they do most of their actual like business for their careers because they're actors. Didn't really make any sense for this entire trial to take place in Virginia. So that's basically what this first point is arguing, that this shouldn't have been in this court to begin with. The second claim goes back to the UK ruling that that should have been taken into consideration and should have just had this case dismissed. The third goes back to the fact that there was nothing to suggest that Amber's claims in the Washington Post were even actionable because they were not statements of fact, they were expressions of opinion, which are non-actionable. Number four states that the court erred in judgment by not including the verdict of the UK trial as a point of evidence. Ooh, and number five we have here. The trial court erred in excluding from evidence at trial a medical records reflecting Heard's contemporaneous communications with medical providers such as Dr. Laura Anderson, Dr. David Kipper, Debbie Lloyd, Aaron Filati, I don't know how to say your last name, Dr. Amy Banks, Dr. Connell Cowan, and Dr. Bonnie Jacobs, and B, Heard's contemporaneous communications with several third parties, including Depp's employees and Heard's employees, friends, and family about interactions with Depp, including reports of drug use, aggressive and abusive conduct, physical and sexual abuse, and her fear for her safety. So that is, like, exactly what I was saying, where all that stuff that got deemed as hearsay and therefore inadmissible in the Virginia court was absolute bullshit because all that stuff is evidence of abuse. And it's like all the evidence that most abuse victims have. Oh my god, I feel so vindicated right now. Okay, number six, the trial court erred in admitting irrelevant and unduly prejudicial evidence at trial related to Hurd's pledge to donate money to charity and evidence related to Hurd's alleged abuse of third parties. Is that not what I've been saying this whole time? Whether or not Amber donated or pledged to donate money to the ACLU has nothing to do with the claims of defamation or even the overall claims of abuse. Like, it, it has nothing to do with that. Oh my god. I'm loving this. Oh, and then number seven, we have the trial court erred in excluding evidence at trial of Depp's reputation as it existed prior to publication of the challenged op-ed and after the op-ed was published. Yeah, again, I mean, I don't know specifically about them excluding evidence because I don't know what evidence specifically they were trying to include. But yeah, Johnny Depp's reputation was fucking piss poor before the Washington Post article ever came out, so... Prior to the Washington Post article, there was an entire Rolling Stone article that was just ripping him to shreds, to the point that he had to respond to it in a later GQ interview. So, like, you knew that your reputation was shit prior to Amber ever writing that Washington Post article. I wonder if they even tried to use the Rolling Stone article as evidence, because that's what I would have done. I would have been like, look, people hated him before I wrote this. I mean, he was already in a lawsuit with his ex-business managers, he was being accused of assault on the set of a different movie, and he was in a lawsuit with his ex-bodyguards. All before the Washington Post article was published. I mean, come on. Now, number eight is about a specific objection that the court sustained, and I don't really know what they're referring to. I'd have to go back and look at that, so. Then number nine says... The court erred in allowing Depp to argue or suggest at trial the jury could award damages based on statements or conduct occurring prior to the publication of the challenged op-ed. So, 
again, I think this is kind of an issue with the boundaries for these claims not really being defined because it's defamation by implication that implies that there is some kind of external knowledge that you have to be drawing from in order to understand what Amber is saying to be defamatory. So I don't know, like if that's not being clearly defined to the jury prior, not by Johnny, but by like the court itself, then yeah, I I don't think that Johnny can just say that the jury can award damages based on statements or conduct occurring prior to the publication of the op-ed. But again, I, if they're not defining what this case is even trying to get a verdict on, then, I mean, it's all up in the fucking air. Why not? Why not allow Johnny to just make the rules up as he goes along if there were no rules to begin with? And then number 10 follows along with that. The trial court erred in allowing Depp to argue or suggest a trial and the jury to consider whether the allegedly defamatory statements in the challenged op-ed were republications of statements heard made in 2016 in connection with a domestic violence temporary restraining order she obtained against Depp. So again, yeah, the whole idea that these were defamatory statements relies on your knowledge of the abuse that Amber had alleged back in 2016 and then her and Johnny like recanted and signed an NDA and decided not to talk about it again. So like there's a lot that you have to come to that Washington Post article already knowing in order to even be aware that Amber is referring to those allegations. But again, like if you're not defining that in the court as a part of this defamation by implication, then that's that seems like the whole problem here is that the jury didn't even know what they were ruling on. Reading that one, though, and then going back to number nine, it says the trial court erred in allowing Depp to argue or suggest a trial that the jury could award damages based on statements or conduct occurring prior to the publication. So I think that is actually meaning that some of the damages that Johnny was awarded may have been from damages prior to the Washington Post article. So because Amber had alleged abuse initially in 2016, any damage that was done to his career prior to the Washington Post, as long as it came between the original 2016 allegations that came with the restraining order and then the eventual Washington Post article and everything that happened thereafter, so like up till now, all of that can be included in the damages that he's being awarded, which doesn't make any sense. So yeah, that actually is like really fucked up. If you're saying that she was defaming you now or in 2018 when the Washington Post article was written, you can't say that she owes you for money from stuff that happened to you prior to that original defamatory statement. That's so stupid. Goddamn. Most of the stuff on the next page is just kind of repetitions of what we've already discussed back from the statement of the case. Uh, just stuff about the jury was improperly informed on the uh, like definition of actual malice, and then Johnny didn't actually provide evidence that there was any actual malice intended by Amber, and yada yada yada. 
The one thing, though, that I want to point out here is number 12. So the trial court erred in denying the motions to strike and to set aside the jury's verdict with regards to Depp's failure to prove publication by Heard of the statement, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. So I think I said earlier there were three sentences that were really being looked at here to decide if Amber had defamed Johnny. One of the sentences was actually just the title of the Washington Post article. And that one was the, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. So the two statements that were actually in the article, you can at least kind of say like, okay, these are Herd's words. This is what Amber wrote, even though there is some like debate about whether or not she actually wrote the article or if the ACLU wrote it for her, like she had a ghostwriter. It doesn't really even matter because... This is the thing with, like, the ACLU donation, too. Like, celebrities always say weird stuff. They'll say, like, I'm donating this. But what they mean is they're pledging and they dole those donations out, like, year by year because of tax purposes. It's more beneficial to them. It's all tricky shit. And the same thing with op-eds. Whenever you see an op-ed written by a celebrity, most often those are ghost-written. So trying to use that against Amber Heard that she's an inauthentic person or something is kind of a moot point because that's what all celebrities do. And the ACLU is willing to do stuff like that because, I mean, why would they care, honestly? But they want someone who has, like, a public face of an issue, such as domestic violence. Amber Heard was a public figure representing abuse. They want someone like that that they can credit with this article, which more or less pushes their agenda. And by agenda, I mean, like, not in a bad way. You know, people use the word agenda a lot to mean something really negative, but it's just like, it's what the ACLU does. They're an organization that advocates for certain causes, and if they can use someone like Amber Heard to continue advocating for those causes, then they're going to. So the ACLU most likely wrote a lot of that Washington Post article, which is why most of it is not even about Johnny Depp. Most of it is just about the general state of domestic violence and how hard it is to come forward as a victim of gendered domestic violence. And I say gendered here because it is something that mostly happens to women and it is part of like the gendered socialization of everyone in our culture, though of course men can be victims of abuse. It's just not as big of like a sociological epidemic kind of problem, which is what the ACLU was trying to talk about in that article. And it has gotten completely overshadowed by Johnny Depp's huge ego. No matter. The point here is the two sentences that were being looked at for their potential defamation, those were in the article. The other sentence is the title of the article that Almost certainly Amber did not write. That was probably someone at the Washington Post. So unless Johnny can prove that Amber wrote that specific sentence, it really shouldn't have even been being looked at. Moving on to the statements of facts, everything written under the first uh, Roman numeral here, it's all just overviews of what got us to this point. But I do want to point out, because I couldn't remember what the statement was that they made. So it says, once the divorce became final in January 2017, the parties issued a joint statement confirming neither party has made false allegations for financial gain, which was significant because that was the implication or actually just like the statement that 
was being made about Amber at the time from Johnny's legal team, his divorce attorneys, when she was filing for the restraining order and alleging abuse. They initially said that, oh, it's just for financial gain, that she's just trying to get a bigger payout from the divorce settlement. And then they came together, they put a joint statement that said neither party has made false allegations for financial gain. So even in that statement, Johnny admitted that the things that Amber had been claiming in her filing for a restraining order were true. So they never actually said that Amber wasn't being truthful about the abuse. They kind of admitted that that stuff happened, but they were trying to come together and say that they were going to be dealing with stuff amicably in the future. So that's just a little correction from earlier from something that I said. Then on the second point, we have the overview of the lawsuit against the Sun. The third point is the op-ed being published in the first place, then Johnny's lawsuit against Amber, and then there are some relevant pretrial proceedings, uh, just stuff about things that Amber was trying to do, like she tried to get it dismissed because it was in Virginia, which was an inappropriate place for the trial to take place. Uh, that got dismissed, obviously. She also argued that the challenge statements were not actionable as defamation by implication, and that all but one were expressions of non-actionable opinion. That also got overruled. And then Amber filed counterclaims against Johnny, including defamation claims arising from three statements made by Johnny's attorney. And then in 2021, while the parties were engaged in discovery, Amber filed a supplemental plea in bar after the UK judgment had become final, arguing that Johnny should be precluded from relitigating the UK court's findings that her domestic abuse accusations were true. Again, overruled. Then we have the sixth point here about the trial and some more stuff about the evidence being submitted in a very unfair way. So notwithstanding that Depp focused on attacking Heard's credibility and portraying her as a liar, the court precluded Heard from introducing documents and other evidence corroborating her accusations and allowed Depp to admit irrelevant and unduly prejudicial evidence that he further used to attack Heard's character. At the close of Depp's case, Heard filed a motion to strike the evidence on multiple grounds, which the court denied. Then it has the thing about the jury returned a verdict in favor of Depp on all of his claims and in favor of Heard on one of her counterclaims. And then on July 1st, Heard filed post-trial motions on a number of grounds, which the trial court denied without argument or opinion. Okay, so then we get to the argument. I just read through the first point here, which is all about the trial taking place in Virginia, and they made some good points. Okay, so first off, we have the fact that it just, there was not really any legal grounds for it to take place in Virginia. So it says, the trial court ruled that Depp's defamation claims arose in Virginia solely because the Washington Post uploaded the op-ed to the internet via computer servers located in Springfield, Virginia. That ruling is inconsistent with Virginia law as applied to internet publications, which dictates that Depp's claims arose in California. So it mentions here that Virginia adheres to the rule. Lex, I mean, I'm not even going to attempt the Latin, actually. But it basically means place of the wrong to determine where a tort cause of action arises, which basically means that Virginia courts have defined the place of the wrong as the state where the content at issue was published. But as they bring up here, 
Neither the Virginia Supreme Court nor this court has addressed how that rule applies to defamation claims based on internet publications, which reach an audience in multiple states simultaneously. It goes on, to the contrary, under Virginia law, a statement is not considered to be published until it is seen or heard by a third party. Uploading content to the internet is not enough to constitute the completed tort of defamation. Instead, a third party must also receive and understand the content. Because the op-ed reached readers everywhere at once, the trial court had no basis to find it was published in Virginia rather than in California or elsewhere. Numerous courts interpreting Virginia law have concluded that the place of the wrong for internet defamation claims is where the plaintiff incurs the greatest reputational injury, which typically is their home state. So yeah, I'm not familiar enough with Virginia law to really fact check any of that, but it makes sense to me. They make another point here that Virginia was a completely inconvenient forum. So my whole thing with the Virginia lawsuit is that it was clearly just a way to avoid the anti-slap provisions in California. And if California would decide that this was a slap suit, you're kind of cheating by going to another state, but whatever. But that was my whole basis for, like, this shouldn't have taken place in Virginia. It was stupid. But they make some really good arguments here about why this was an inconvenient forum for this case that really disadvantaged Amber beyond just avoiding anti-slap provisions. So again, it sets up the basis that there was no reason for this to take place in Virginia. It says, Depp is a resident of California. The incidents that led to Heard obtaining the restraining order took place in California, not Virginia. Heard wrote the op-ed in California and then sent it to the ACLU in New York. The ACLU provided the op-ed to the Washington Post, which published it online. Heard had no contact with any Washington Post employee. To the best of her knowledge, Heard had never set foot in Virginia prior to this lawsuit. And you know what? I'm not sure I've ever set foot in Virginia. Anyway, in contrast, both parties and most of the fact witnesses were located in California, with none of them located in Virginia. And this is where it gets into how this actually fucked over Amber. So, Heard was unable to subpoena any witnesses for the six-week trial and was forced to rely almost exclusively on deposition designations to defend herself. The lack of compulsory process meant, first, that the only live fact witnesses Heard was able to call in her defense was her own sister. Depp, who has considerable resources from his decades as a movie star, was able to call more than 15 live fact witnesses who voluntarily traveled to Virginia from another jurisdiction or appeared by WebEx, many of whom are employed by or otherwise financially linked to Depp. Hmm, good fucking point. Depp capitalized on that disparity, arguing to the jury, you may have noticed that no one showed up for Miss Heard in this courtroom other than her sister other than a witness who traveled to Virginia for her as a paid expert. This is a woman who burns bridges. Her close friends don't show up for her. Motherfucker. <laughs> that is so fucked. You chose a setting for this trial where you knew that less people were going to be able to show up for Amber, and then you mocked her about it on the fucking stand. And also, as I said earlier, too, the fact that Amber burns bridges, to me, is even more evidence in her favor because she did burn bridges. And you know what? All those people still did depositions corroborating the things that she said. So <laughs> let's see how many people have a falling out with you, Johnny, and still want to stand by you. 
while you burn your own reputation to the ground. Second, the lack of compulsory process prevented Heard from responding as Depp shifted his case, while Depp was able to redirect witnesses and call new, previously undisclosed witnesses in rebuttal, Heard was reliant on video deposition testimony. Ay, yay. <laughs> this case really was, like, fucked. <laughs> Alright, and then under section B, it's all about the fact that Amber's statements weren't really actionable. Other than, it says, the three challenge statements, with the exception of the portion of the headline stating I spoke up against sexual violence, which is obviously true, are protected opinion. There is no objective basis for assessing the truth or falsity of whether Heard felt or faced our culture's wrath, whether she is a public figure representing domestic abuse, or whether she saw institutions protect men. I get from, like, a legal standpoint, you can't say there's an objective basis for that stuff, but also it is, like, observably true. She did face our culture's wrath. People got fucking mad at her. Whether or not they had a right to, that's who's to say, you know? Then she's a public figure representing abuse. I mean, yeah, she came out as someone who claimed to have been abused. Again, whether or not you believe her. And she did become a public figure representing abuse. You could say she was representing it badly, but she was that. And then... If she saw institutions protect men accused of abuse, yeah, she also did that. Like, after the restraining order, he continued to get roles. He was in, like, two different Harry Potter movies. Fantastic Beasts movies. Whatever, it's in the Harry Potter universe. To the point that J.K. Rowling was even making public statements defending the casting of him in that movie, in the first one. Which is why the son made an article about it. Like, the entire article written by The Sun calling him a wife beater was in response to J.K. Rowling defending the casting of Johnny Depp in that film. And he continued to get more movies after that. So, yeah, you saw institutions protect a man accused of abuse. Whether or not they were wrong to do that, again, who's to say? Like, those are subjective points, but... I get it in, like, a legal sense. Okay, these statements are relative in nature and reflect Heard's subjective viewpoints. But also, like, they are true. All those things are true. Even if you think that Amber was lying in her initial allegations of abuse, the sentences written in the Washington Post article are still observably true. But I get that, in a way, it makes more sense for them to argue that those are expressions of opinion and non-actionable than it is to say, like, okay, but it's true, though. Because even that statement that it is true would then make it an actionable claim. All right, so I just read point C, and I I just got to read like a whole bunch of shit from here because this is all really good. Okay, so a plaintiff may plead innuendo to show how the words used are defamatory and how they relate to the plaintiff, but innuendo cannot introduce new matter nor extend the meaning of the words used or make that certain which is in fact uncertain. It is indisputed that the op-ed does not mention Depp's name or the party's prior relationship, describe the 2016 restraining order, or discuss Heard's statements or evidence in that proceeding. Rather, the op-ed advocates for changes to laws and rules and social norms regarding domestic violence and sexual assault so that women who come forward to talk about violence receive more support. 
Depp's position is that the op-ed implies he abused Heard because reasonable readers would understand the words, two years ago I became a public figure representing domestic abuse, to refer to the 2016 proceedings. Depp contends, in other words, that Heard revived her 2016 allegations simply by describing in the op-ed the public backlash she faced after obtaining the restraining order. Depp's theory of liability extends the meaning of the words used beyond recognition. The reasoning in Fairfax v. CBS is illustrative. There, the court considered whether the host of a television news program defamed former Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax while interviewing two women who had accused Fairfax of sexual assault. The court concluded that Fairfax had failed to plead defamation by implication because the hosts had not stated that Fairfax did in fact commit the alleged sexual assaults and the challenged commentary did not ascribe to any particular view of the underlying events, but rather focused on how persons who believe they are victims of sexual abuse are affected. Similarly, in the op-ed, Hurt did not recount the events underlying the domestic violence proceeding. Rather, she discussed how women who allege domestic violence are treated by society, and she advocated for changes to relevant laws and social norms. To accept, as the trial court did, Depp's assertion that a reasonable reader could understand the op-ed to imply that he abused her merely by describing the public reaction to her allegations would be to create a rule preventing any abused person from addressing the societal implications of speaking out against abuse. If that were the law, then it would be actionable in defamation to say four years ago, Christine Blasey Ford became a public figure representing sexual assault. That is plainly not the law. And yeah, again, I was saying this since before I even looked into the specifics of Amber and Johnny's relationship. Making this a law, like making it illegal for Amber Heard to even reference the fact that she experienced backlash from the public for coming out as a victim of abuse, whether or not she actually was a victim of abuse, that means that you're just making it illegal for women to talk about being victims of abuse. Not even talk about, like, being a victim of abuse in a really direct way, but you're making it illegal for women to talk about the experience of being someone that other people know has come out as a victim of sexual or domestic abuse. Like, it It's such a huge fuck you to free speech. I just, I can't believe that this case went on the way that it did. I mean, it's just absurd. Even if you don't believe Amber Heard. Even if you think that she was actually the abuser within that relationship. Saying that she defamed Johnny Depp is saying that she shouldn't be able to talk about her own subjective experience, not even the subjective experience of someone in a domestically abusive relationship, but saying that she shouldn't talk about her experience as someone that is perceived by the public to have come out as a victim of a domestically abusive relationship. Like, it's so absurd that this case even got as far as it fucking did like it should have been dismissed right away and yet he fucking won oh my god we're so fucked is it a little ironic by the way that elon musk is on twitter right now complaining that apple wanting to pull their association from twitter as in like two private companies not wanting to have an association with one another anymore or i guess one not wanting to have an association with the other if Apple takes Twitter off of the App Store, that's just one 
company making a decision about their own business practices. It's not really a violation of, you know, freedom of speech. It's just not. It's just like corporations doing what corporations do. And you can not like it all you want, but it's that's the free market. It's ironic that Elon Musk is trying to turn that into a big free speech issue. While his ex-girlfriend, who he might not be on good terms with, I don't even know. Maybe he hates Amber. Who's to say? But still, if this is such a big issue for him, is freedom of speech. He should have fucking said something about this defamation case. Because this is a violation of freedom of speech. Just plainly. Advertisers not wanting to do business with you anymore is not actually a violation of the First Amendment. But deciding that Amber Heard can't talk about her experience as a public figure who received a lot of backlash because she alleged abuse against a former partner, that actually is a violation of the First Amendment. So, like, get your priorities straight, please. And also, just fucking sell Twitter. You don't know what you're doing. Give it to somebody who does. Anyway, the brief also makes a point here, too, about... The allegations that Johnny is trying to claim Amber revived with her 2016 or 2018 Washington Post article are allegations that she made within her filing for a restraining order. It wasn't like a public statement she made. It became public. And it became public because TMZ's got three fucking reporters in that courthouse just going through documents all goddamn day which everyone knows about. Yeah, that's probably how the restraining order filing got public. So it's not like Amber made a public statement about the abuse. All of this is based on a restraining order that she filed, which is just a part of a judicial proceeding that should be her fucking business. So <laughs> what if what allegations was she reviving, Johnny? The ones that TMZ published? That they published alongside comments that dominantly sided with you? Like, all of their reporting on that case was filled with these underhanded comments about how it probably wasn't true, though. Amber's probably lying. I mean, you know what? While we're at it, let's literally just go back and read the report on the restraining order. So this exclusive from TMZ in May of 2016, Amber Heard claims domestic violence gets restraining order against Johnny Depp. Let's read what it says. Amber Heard showed up in court with a bruise on her face claiming Johnny Depp physically assaulted her and she's the victim of repeated domestic violence and the judge issued a restraining order requiring Johnny to stay 100 yards away from her. Sources connected to Johnny are calling BS, saying Amber is an affront to real victims of domestic violence. So even in the first fucking report about this restraining order, they had already talked to sources connected to Johnny before they published anything. They were getting word from Johnny's team. They also then go down to talk about how Amber had called the police it says, we're told cops told Amber they would find Johnny and arrest him if she gave him a statement about the alleged violence, but she refused. Officers told her if she changed her mind, she could call them. Cops gave Amber this business card and told her to call if she wants to press charges. As far as we know, she has not gone back to the cops. 
It's interesting. She's asking for a temporary restraining order, claiming there's an immediate threat of harm, but Depp has been out of town since Wednesday promoting his new movie. Depp's lawyer, Laura Wasser, the attorney that TMZ has had known connections to for years, appeared on his behalf. TMZ broke the story. Three days after Depp's mom died, Amber filed for divorce. And one week after his mom died, she's claiming domestic violence. They have to put that in there, too. They have to pepper that in, that Johnny is mourning right now. And this bitch Amber Heard is claiming he abused her. As for why Depp and his people are calling BS, first she never filed a police report, and she posted Instagram pics after the alleged beating and never showed any injury. You're telling me that Amber Heard was the source for all of this shit? Fuck off. So yeah, Amber Heard's 2018 op-ed was reviving claims that were published by TMC alongside their very obviously pro-Johnny arguments. Like, it's so stupid. How much damage could she have done to his reputation if people were already defending him as the allegations came out? God, TMZ was the first publication to take up this story. And as they took it up in their first fucking articles about it, they're already defending Johnny. Come on, like, this is so dumb. This is so dumb. He got off so easy and all he had to do was just shut the fuck up. But he couldn't do that. He had to sue his ex-wife for vaguely referencing the fact that she was a part of this public spectacle in their divorce. Like, oh my god. Oh my god. And so many people fell for it too and have taken his side. Oh my god. I hate it here. All right, anyway, the argument under D is mostly just about how the UK already deemed Johnny a wife beater, and there was nothing wrong with that trial, and Johnny had ample time to appeal that. He did try to appeal it. He failed. And they even point out here, and under UK law, Depp faced a much lighter burden of proof on his claims than he did in Virginia. In the UK, the defendants bore the burden of proving the substantial truth of the statements rather than Depp having the burden of proving them false. Yet, Depp still lost and then exhausted his appeals. Alright, so I just read the first part of this, um, second portion here, which is all about how Johnny failed to prove actual malice. Um, everything under A is basically stuff we've already talked about. But I gotta go on here. A lot of the stuff in B is just fucking good. And it's all shit again that, like, I've been saying. I hate to make it all about me, but I just, I feel so vindicated. Okay, so. Depp alleged that the op-ed falsely implied that Heard was a victim of domestic abuse by him. Because actual malice is a subjective standard, whether Heard believed Depp abused her must be judged by her own state of mind. That's like what I said earlier, with even abusers sometimes think that they are the victim of abuse. So even if you do believe that Amber Heard was the primary abuser in that relationship, which I don't think the facts really support, but whatever, you can believe that. Even if you think that Amber Heard was the primary abuser, you can't say that she necessarily believes that. And that is really relevant when we're 
talking about defamation because you do need to prove actual malice, which would mean that Amber Heard would need to not consider herself a victim of abuse. So let's read here. Heard testified unequivocally that she believed Depp had abused her physically, verbally, emotionally, and psychologically. Depp and his expert witness conceded that abuse can take many forms, including verbal, emotional, and psychological. And the trial record contains considerable undisputed evidence supporting the proposition that Heard, at the time of publication, believed that Depp had abused her. And this is the shit that we need to really focus on because... All of this stuff that we're about to go through here, Johnny does not say didn't happen. Johnny admits that this shit happened. So we need to consider this when discussing whether or not Amber Heard believes herself to be a victim of abuse. So right here, Depp demanded that Heard cut him with a knife and threatened to cut himself in her presence when she refused to comply. There's audio recording of that. That's undisputed. Depp engaged in violent behavior in Heard's vicinity on multiple occasions, including kicking cabinets and doors, smashing glasses, punching a light fixture, and toppling racks of clothing in her closet and throwing one rack down a staircase. Now, I'm not sure if Johnny actually admitted to the uh, staircase thing, like the clothes. I, I'm not sure that he did, but I also don't think that he said that he didn't do it. So, yeah, again, undisputed. But he did, definitely. Like, he admits to breaking furniture and vandalizing their homes. Or maybe not their homes. I think the Australia, I don't know that that belonged to him. But he wrote on property in his own blood. Like, he did exhibit violent behaviors in Hurd's vicinity. That's undisputed. Depp exhibited jealous and controlling behavior toward Hurd, such as accusing her of infidelity and promiscuity which was a part of his defense. That's so undisputed that it's actually what Johnny claimed in the court. Part of his allegations of abuse from Amber was that Amber was cheating on him. Right there. Depp exhibited jealous and controlling behavior toward her, such as accusing her of infidelity and promiscuity. And then it also has a little parenthetical including in messages written around the house with his own blood. Again, yes, that happened. That's undisputed. He wrote in his own blood something about her wanting to have sex with Billy Bob Thornton and, like, have fun at the top or something to imply that she was using her sexuality to get ahead in the entertainment industry. Like, this shit, it's undisputed. I just, I don't get how people can be like, Johnny did nothing wrong. He clearly did. Even if you're like, oh my god, he was in shock when he wrote all that stuff in his own blood. Like, oh, who does that? That's a mentally ill man. He needs treatment. He doesn't need you to be like, oh, he did nothing wrong. No, it's not normal. And it's not okay to write threatening messages about your partner in your own blood around the house. Okay? That's weird. It's not okay. You need to go get some help. You don't need to be in a romantic relationship at that moment. You are not in a state to be in a partnership like that. Oh my god. Okay. Depp admitted to headbutting Heard, though he claimed it was unintentional. Depp told Heard on one occasion, I left last night, honestly, I swear to you, because I just couldn't take the idea of more physicality, more physical abuse on each other. Importantly, even if the jury could properly have concluded that these undisputed facts did not constitute abuse, Depp presented no evidence that undercut Heard's testimony that she believed this conduct amounted to abuse. 
Okay? So even if we go back to that one about Depp admitting to headbutting Heard, though he claimed it was unintentional, you can't then say that Amber must believe that it was unintentional. And first of all, like, how the fuck do you headbutt someone unintentionally? I'm stupid. But whatever. Even if we go with all of this stuff was actually, like, reactive to the abuse that Amber had inflicted onto him, that doesn't mean that Amber automatically has to agree with that description of events. She can still feel like she is the victim of abuse. And that doesn't make her liable for defamation. Oh my god, I hate this. And I also like this little note here that they have at the bottom. The record also contains many other examples of disputed evidence of abuse, but the court need not even consider those to appropriately conclude that the trial court should have struck the jury verdict for Depp's failure to prove actual malice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so section three, we've got some other meaty bits here. This is all about the evidence that Amber was not able to submit to the court or to the jury for consideration. And the other evidence that Johnny was able to bring forward that was irrelevant. So let's start with A here. So this is A number one, because there are multiple points. So the trial court erred by excluding evidence of Depp's abuse and heard state of mind. So... This is what I was saying with the fucking hearsay law. Heard made numerous contemporaneous statements to third parties about Depp's abusive conduct. Instead of permitting the jury to consider this critical evidence, the court excluded it based on an erroneous application of Virginia hearsay law. Statements about Depp's abuse made years prior to any potential litigation were essential to the jury's consideration of the facts and Heard's credibility, especially given that Depp made Heard's credibility the linchpin of this case. So they go on to give some examples. So A is all about the reports of abuse to medical providers that was not able to be heard by the jury. So from 2011 to 2016, Heard sought treatment from several medical professionals as the result of her volatile and violent relationship with Depp. A number of these professionals documented Heard's contemporaneous statements about Depp's abuse in medical records. The trial court, however, excluded this evidence as hearsay, which Depp then used as both a shield and a sword. Not only did Depp convince the court to preclude Heard from presenting relevant, admissible evidence to corroborate her claims, but Depp then weaponized that exclusion, arguing to the jury that such evidence did not exist. His attorney said, Miss Heard has told you that she has mountains of evidence of abuse, but there are no medical records reflecting she sustained any injuries from this abuse she claims. That statement is unequivocally false. The trial court had wrongly excluded those very mountains of medical records created from 2011 to 2016. Yeah, that's fucking wild, dude. How do you allow that? How do you allow them to exclude medical records that are related to the abuse claims? And then you let Johnny side convince the jury that that's because no medical records existed. That's insane. It goes on separately. The trial court should have admitted Heard's prior statements about Depp's abuse as non-hearsay assertions offered to prove Heard's state of mind. It is backletter law that statements admitted as evidence of an individual state of mind are not hearsay. Because of Depp's burden of proof, actual malice, Heard's subjective state of mind regarding whether abuse occurred was a primary issue in this case. Thus, evidence that she subjectively believed that she was a victim of abuse was critical. Then they give some examples of the 
separate instances in which Amber reported Johnny's abuse to medical professionals. So from 2011 to 2014, Amber was treated by Bonnie Jacobs. Dr. Jacobs' contemporaneous medical records show that Heard repeatedly reported Depp's abuse. For example, in August 2012, Heard reported Depp was in a rage, accused her of cheating, and threw a glass by her head. In September 2012, Heard reported Depp was violent and ripped her nightgown, threw her on bed, tried to have sex but couldn't get an erection, became more angry. And in November 2012, Heard reported sometimes Johnny becomes verbally and sexually abusive after spending time with father. I'm assuming that means Amber's father, which is weird. I mean, it's weird regardless, but like, who, how do you become verbally and sexually abusive after spending time with your partner's father? That's just so bizarre. What a weird man. Okay, whatever. So... 2014 to 2016, Heard was treated by Dr. Cowan. Dr. Cowan's records reflect that in December 2015, Heard reported that Depp was physically abusive and that he started the physicality and pushed her down. Uh, 2014, we've got Amber reported that Johnny headbutted her, and on May 21st, 2016, Amber reported that Johnny hit her in the face. In 2015 and 2016, Heard and Depp saw Laurel Anderson, a clinical psychologist. During therapy sessions, Heard reported that Depp slapped her, hit her in the head, pulled her hair, and kicked her in the leg, causing her bruises. In 2015 and 2016, another clinical psychologist treated Heard and Depp in a joint session. Heard discussed Depp's violence, which he did not contradict. I talked about that one in the Unsealed Documents episode, I know. But, yeah, <laughs> this is fucking insane. Like, how did all of this shit get excluded? Ah, <sighs> yeah. So they establish the precedent here with Graham v. Danko, which says, Ordinarily, proof of statements made by a witness out of court cannot be received to corroborate his testimony, but such statements may be admitted where the credibility of the witness has been assailed on the ground that his story is a recent fabrication or that he has some motive for testifying falsely. And they say one step attacked Heard's credibility and accused her of fabricating her allegations of abuse, the trial court should have permitted Heard to introduce these prior consistent statements. If not reversed, the trial's court's exclusion of contemporaneous reports of domestic abuse to medical professionals will make it more difficult for other abuse victims to prove allegations of abuse and likely deter them from coming forward. Then in the B section here, we have... Stuff about Stephen Duders, who was Johnny's assistant. I think he still is, but his personal assistant who was texting Amber about a specific allegation of abuse on one of the flights from Boston to Los Angeles. He was texting pretty much on behalf of Johnny. And apparently there's precedent for that, too. So it says a statement by the party's agent or employee made during the term of the agency or employment concerning a matter within the scope of such agency or employment is an exception to the hearsay rule. So, I mean, I think that all of it should have been included anyway, because as was already stated, Johnny was attacking Amber's credibility. So any like back and forth in which she's talking about specific allegations of abuse against Johnny that should all be included, but yeah, especially here, it sounds like there's really no reason that that was deemed hearsay because Stephen Duders was acting on behalf of Johnny, so it's almost like you're literally looking at text messages between Amber and Johnny. That should count. That's not hearsay. That's evidence. Then we move on to the number two point here, which is that 
the trial court improperly excluded the UK judgment, so... It says, while the trial court allowed references to the UK proceeding, it precluded the jury from learning about the outcome. Wow. I guess I didn't really even consider that. I mean, I don't know. I just assumed, maybe, that the jury already knew, because I already knew. But you know what? I I don't know who these jurors are. So, first, the court's decision to allow Depp to refer to the UK proceeding without explaining the outcome left the jury with the mistaken impression that the outcome of the trial was favorable to Depp, when in fact, the UK court found that Depp had abused Heard on at least 12 different occasions. While testifying, the court permitted Depp to read into the record the title of an article, Johnny Depp was the victim of abuser Amber Heard, London's High Court told. Which is like an objectively false title of an article, but whatever. It goes on to say, Second, the Sun article that precipitated the UK proceeding, Depp's decision to file the UK lawsuit, the trial and significant media attention, and the UK judgment finding that Depp had in fact abused Heard undoubtedly negatively impacted Depp's reputation. Nonetheless, Heard was precluded from presenting the jury with this highly relevant evidence regarding damages. Yet again, not really Amber's fault that Johnny's reputation took such a nosedive. He was the one that brought all this shit to the surface. I mean, just right now, I would not be talking about all these allegations if not for the 2022 trial in Virginia, let alone the 2020 trial in the UK. Like, uh, the 2018 Washington Post article, barely on mine or anyone else's radar, let's be honest. Nobody cared, except for Johnny Depp. Okay, so in the third part here, we're getting some clarity on that part that I was a little confused by earlier when it said the thing about um, the judge sustained an objection to this question that Johnny had been asked. So this is what it's referring to, I guess. So on cross-examination, Hertz counsel sought to ask Depp whether that specific statement was accurate. This is the statement about, um, I became a public figure representing abuse. That's what they asked him. Is that statement accurate? Despite the fact that Depp was required to prove the falsity of this statement as an essential element of his claim, the trial court precluded him from answering the question on the ground that it called for a legal conclusion. Yeah, okay, so I get what they were saying earlier. That is an absurd objection to sustain, because that's what his entire case is about. If he doesn't believe that that statement that Amber made was false, he doesn't have a case. So it's not really that it's it called for a legal conclusion. It's that, like, you would have to admit that you actually don't even believe what you're suing Amber for. You don't believe that that was defamatory. I guess, in a way, it calls for a legal conclusion. And that conclusion is that your lawsuit is full of shit and you filed it on completely erroneous grounds. But <laughs> you're not allowed to ask someone, like, hey... <laughs> The thing that you're suing her for, do you think that that's true? <laughs> so stupid. What the fuck? All right, then we get into the evidence that was admitted to the court that was irrelevant and prejudicial. And of course, the very first thing that they bring up is Amber's pledge to donate proceeds from her divorce settlement to a charity in 2016, which I have been saying this whole fucking time had nothing to do with the abuse allegations. 
And as they bring up, the pledge, which was announced two years prior to the publication of the op-ed, was not relevant to Depp's defamation claims and was unduly prejudicial. Indeed, Depp not only used this evidence during cross-examination of Heard, but he introduced collateral evidence, including witness testimony from representatives of the ACLU and Children's Hospital about the pledge for only one purpose, to prejudice the jury against Heard and paint her as a liar who only wanted public praise. Going on, they also talk about Amber's arrest in 2009, which was, again, irrelevant. Now, I would say it's less irrelevant than the ACLU stuff because it could at least establish a pattern of abuse if it were true. Because if you aren't aware, in 2009, Amber was arrested by a police officer who believed that Amber was engaging in domestic abuse with her then-partner Tasia Van Ray, or Von Ray. Now, the important thing you need to know about this is, Tasia has denied that. Both Amber and Tasia deny that there was any abuse between the two of them, and also, in 2011, Amber had the record of her arrest completely cleared. So, all you have here is one outside third party who says, I believe that Amber Heard was abusive to her partner, despite the fact that both Amber Heard and her partner at the time have both said, no, she wasn't. And Tasia has continued to defend Amber throughout this entire debacle. Like, I could see, maybe. I mean, even then, the whole thing is like, this is a defamation case. So if you were suing Amber for like, domestic abuse, then maybe, yeah, you can use her previous arrest record, even though it actually doesn't exist anymore, because it was deleted in 2011. But maybe then you could say, like, okay, well, she was accused of abuse by a third-party person in 2009 against another partner, so she has a pattern. But, yeah, in a defamation case, it really, really doesn't matter, especially because... If you're saying that Amber was lying about herself being the victim of abuse, here's a fun fact about victims of abuse. Sometimes they are also perpetrators of abuse in other situations. Abuse and domestic violence or sexual assault or workplace harassment or any anything like that. You can be the victim of something like that and also in other situations, be a perpetrator, because these are really, really, like, culturally entrenched issues that we are dealing with in our society, which means that sometimes the people who commit these things, just statistically, will also become a victim to them in other situations. Like, it, it's so stupid to act like abuse victims only come in one form, and that form is pure, innocent victims who have never done anything wrong in their entire lives. I, especially when you consider the fact that most people who grow up to be abusers experienced abuse at a young age, and they're replicating that behavior. So, God, I just, I hate this. I hate this so much. Now, the fifth point opens... The trial court's erroneous evidentiary rulings also left the jury without crucial evidence regarding Depp's reputation and therefore prevented the jury from accurately assessing any harm proximately caused by the op-ed. So yeah, this goes right back to Johnny's reputation fucking sucked without 
the op-ed. And I said earlier something about the Rolling Stone article that was published prior, and it doesn't give any specifics, but it does say... The trial court erroneously excluded as hearsay articles relevant to Depp's reputation prior to the publication of the op-ed. The articles, however, were not hearsay, as Heard sought to admit them not for the truth of the matters asserted in the articles, but to show the state of Depp's public reputation prior to the publication of the op-ed. So with later things that it says in this brief, it might just be that she was submitting things that talked specifically about the Sun article and the UK judgment, but it's also possible that she was trying to submit evidence just of other articles about Johnny Depp's overall behavior, which there were plenty of articles about at the time, including the one from the Rolling Stone, but also stuff just about his various lawsuits with other people. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, that stuff absolutely should have been included. I don't know why it wouldn't have been. So it says, because of the trial court's decisions, Heard was prevented from establishing that Depp could not have been harmed by publication of the op-ed because he already had a terrible reputation. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Thus, while the jury was allowed to hear testimony of Depp's harm as far back as 2016, the jury was not able to fully assess the reputational harm unrelated to Heard's op-ed or the impact of a judgment that found Depp to have committed acts of domestic abuse, including sexual violence. Yeah, I mean, that's fucking wild. If Johnny was implying to the jury that they could award reputational damage based on things that happened prior to the op-ed... Why wouldn't Amber be able to submit evidence about things prior to that op-ed that also contributed to the downfall of his reputation? That is so stupid. All right. After that, we go back to the claim about the Washington Post writing the headline. It says right here, the undisputed evidence established that the Washington Post drafted and posted the headline without Heard's knowledge. Yada yada. Thus, there is no evidence that Heard published the headline. And then it brings up why this is really significant to the overall claims, because it says, The trial court's refusal to exclude the headline from evidence led to the introduction of irrelevant and prejudicial evidence and arguments about whether Depp had committed sexual violence against Heard, a phrase that does not appear in the challenged portions of the op-ed authored by Heard, as opposed to other forms of abuse, the word that Heard did use. So, yeah, that's pretty significant that Amber had to then prove that she had been the victim of sexual violence, even though that wasn't even what she had written in the op-ed. And that's kind of extra fucked because we talked about this in a different episode. I at first wasn't aware that Amber had alleged sexual abuse in the UK trial because that was sealed and not made public. It wasn't in the final judgment that got published for the public. So I didn't realize that at first. And I was like, oh, well, this is like the first time in the U.S. that she's actually talking about the alleged rape with the glass bottle, even though she did apparently talk about it in the U.K. It was just sealed. And, you know, that wasn't a filmed court hearing the way that the entire trial in the in Virginia was. But it's also like <laughs> the only reason she even had to bring that specific incident up 
and talk about it publicly despite having it sealed in the UK because that's a really private thing for someone to have to talk about is because of this wording from the headline that she didn't write. So that's fucked. But then it goes on to say, Second, because the jury awarded to Depp $10.35 million for all three challenge statements together, there is no way to know how much of the award is attributed to the headline that her did not publish. So again, that's a good point. Later on, it goes back into the problem with the jury not being specifically instructed on the definition of actual malice. Then it talks about the fact that the jury verdicts are inherently and irreconcilably inconsistent. So we already talked about that. The two verdicts don't make sense together. Or not two verdicts, but multiple verdicts, because they did award Johnny's claims, like multiple claims, and then one of Amber's counterclaims. And then it goes back to talking about the reputation that Johnny had and also the fact that it wasn't really all Amber's fault that he lost certain opportunities. Specifically, it mentions how Johnny had claimed he lost a role in Pirates of the Caribbean 6 because of the op-ed, but it says the trial record does not support such a conclusion. He did not have a written contract for the film, for one thing. Even before the op-ed was published, the media reported that Depp would not be in the film, and his agent testified that Disney was non-committal about giving Depp the role. At any rate, Depp testified that he would not have agreed to play a role in Pirate 6, even for $300 million and a million alpacas. So what are you suing Amber for? If you weren't even going to take the role to begin with, you didn't lose any money then. It's <laughs> so dumb. And also... $300 million and a million alpacas? Who would take it for a million alpacas? That's too many alpacas. What are you going to do with all those? I had an English teacher that had alpacas, actually. She was, like, one of my favorites. She would get really upset if you called them llamas. She said that llamas are mean, but alpacas are nice. And I believe her. Anyway. Disney's corporate representative testified that no decision maker within the company had ever said they would not cast Depp because of the op-ed. Nor did Depp present any evidence that he lost other opportunities because of the op-ed. For example, Depp still has an endorsement deal with Dior, which began in 2015. Yeah, it's almost like institutions protect men accused of abuse or something. Hmm. Weird. But that's essentially it. Um, I have to say, I, this episode is longer than I thought it would be. I thought it would be like a quick hour, but it's a little, little above that. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I, I was kind of nervous going into this because I saw a whole bunch of, you know, fucking like YouTube thumbnails being like, Amber Heard embarrasses herself with new appeal brief. Like, I mean, I already have learned to not trust those clickbaity titles because before I started actually looking into the allegations, I thought there was probably some truth to stuff like that. Like when I would see stuff about Amber Heard being like a blatant liar and uh, then when I started looking into it, I was like, oh, by liar, you mean like, I don't even know what you mean. <laughs> I mean, it, some of the claims that people are making were just absolutely absurd and based in no evidence whatsoever. Or like just total clickbait titles too, where 
the thing that they were talking about in the video wasn't even the thing that is in the title. It, it's hard to not be biased against stuff like that because I want to go into everything with an open mind and approach everything with good faith, but I, I don't trust these titles anymore. I don't trust people when they say Amber Heard is super out of line with these appeals because every time I look into these claims that people are making, they turn out to not really be accurate. So uh, you can say that I'm biased for Amber all you want, but this is a learned bias because I am continuously learning that people like to lie about her. And I don't think that she embarrassed herself with this, with this brief. And I'd be the first to say it. Whether or not I support Amber in her allegations against Johnny, whether or not I believe her that she was the victim of abuse... I will absolutely say when she is embarrassing herself, I do it constantly. There is a lot of things that she's done that were embarrassing. And I get frustrated with her because she makes bad decisions a lot that don't serve her purposes. And her purposes ultimately affect a lot of other people because this case has become representative for how we talk about domestic violence. And apparently the way that we've learned to talk about it is really, really, really bad. And I want Amber Heard to do better. And I get sad when she fucks up and makes bad PR moves. Even if I don't blame her necessarily because she didn't ask to be in this position in the first place. It just, it sucks. It sucks to watch it happen. Because I want her to win. Because it does matter to way more people than just her. And I went into this bracing for the worst. I was very nervous reading this brief. But you know what? Amber did not embarrass herself. This is a really good brief. And I think saying anything else is just super intellectually dishonest. And if anything, just goes to support your own biases against Amber. Because as I've been saying this whole time, you don't have to like her. You don't have to like her to agree that the way that this trial went down was fucked and not in her favor. So... That's my conclusion. Good luck, Amber. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Rooting for you. Okay, bye.